Israelites, let's open our Bibles today to the Gospel according to St. Luke chapter number 1. We're going to be talking about a covenant, a throne, a people, and a kingdom. We're looking at the subject of a covenant, a throne, a people, and a kingdom. Let us pray. God, our Father, we are humbled today to be gathered here as Israelites, children of the covenant, children promised a throne upon which the King of Kings would reign, children who have been promised a kingdom, people who have been promised that they serve a God who has said he will never leave thee nor forsake thee. O Father in heaven, on, on this day, May 6, 2023, we are humbled to know that there is a God who is keeping his promise to his people. For on this day, this very day, May 6, 2023, you have confirmed the promise of your word that David would never fail to have a man, to have an heir sitting upon the throne of your kingdom. Now we know, Father in heaven, that the world that we live in is not made of your kingdom. For Jesus reminds us himself in the Gospel of John, chapter 18, verse 36, when he said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered unto the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore saith unto him, Art thou then a king? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness of the truth. For every one that is of the truth heareth my voice. I pray, Father God, today that your children, the covenant seed of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, on this earth, who have been called into the knowledge of who they are and who their king is, that they will not be afraid of the truth, but speak the truth, believe in the truth, hold on to the truth, and know that God, our Father, is faithful to His Word and His truth, and it is our bounden duty to remain faithful to the truth that He has called us into. We praise you now and thank you that you are keeping your covenant. And Father in heaven, though we may have a new king that not everyone 
is ready to kneel and bow to, we know that he is a blood descendant of David. You are keeping your part of the covenant. And though we may not be keeping our part of the covenant, we may have a king that we deserve. For Lord God, Israel is a people that have strayed far from thee. We have broken your covenant. We have scorned your law. We have repudiated your holy word. We have followed, served, and loved other gods. And we are most ill-deserving. But we humbly thank you that even though we live in a generation of covenant breakers, you are a covenant keeper. And for this, we humbly give thanks. In the name of Christ our Savior, amen. In the Gospel according to St. Luke, I'm going to begin reading at verse number 30, chapter 1, the Gospel of Luke. And the angel said unto Mary, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. For behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Underline that phrase. And the Lord God shall give unto him, Jesus Christ, the throne of his father David. Do you believe that? If you do not believe that, you have reason to be highly disappointed with this Bible lesson. For I do believe that God is keeping his promise and that there is an unbroken continuity of the lineage of David out of which Christ in his flesh was born. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Behold thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God... Nothing shall, be impo nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. In that instant, Mary conceived the body of the flesh of Jesus Christ. Today, folks, is a historic day. For on this day, May 6, 2023, the very God of heaven 
has validated his promise to the covenant people of the earth. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. In Westminster Abbey, in a cathedral that rises above all the buildings of worship in the realm close to it, there was a coronation today. King Charles III was coronated as King of Great Britain, the United Kingdom of Great Britain, together with 14 other Commonwealth realms under their rule. What is left of the great British Commonwealth of Nations, prophesied of in your Bible, and fulfilled by the British Empire in the last several centuries. Charles will be going by the name of, the, under the House of Windsor. We know that the House of Windsor, Windsor was a name adopted back in 1917 when the anti-German feeling in Great Britain was growing during the First World War. And the German king that ruled felt that it was probably best to move from the name to the from his name to the house of windsor <clears throat> the coronation of charles today he might have been called from the german name saxe coburg gotha that was the bloodline of his father philip who was of German descent and Danish descent. So what we need to do today, people, is to probably lay aside our human opinion and let God and Scripture be the prevailing ruling factor in our minds. Trust God. He knows what He's doing. Trust God. Or do you believe the motto inscribed on our money in God we trust? It's been 70 years since we had a coronation among the Israelite nations of the world. 70 years is a very long time. Queen Elizabeth II was coronated June 2nd, 1953, some 70 years ago. And very few of you people were alive in 1953, but some of you were, and you remember her coronation. If you remember her coronation, it was a very, very high moment in British history, and a moment that will be remembered by all those who may have witnessed it way back in 1953. There were 8,000 people that were invited to that coronation in 1953. Today, there was a guest list of 2,000 people that were invited to the coronation of Charles III. 
It is rather amazing today to be living in a time of history to witness how passive, uninformed, uninterested, and the total lack of any, shall we say, active participation in trying to find out the history of how God has preserved His Word through time from the covenants of the Bible to the history now unfolding. There is nothing in the Bible that is more impressive than to see how faithful our sovereign God is in keeping His Word. It is so amazing to read the, the pages of Scripture and know that we serve a God who never fails to be a covenant keeper. And irrespective of the covenant-breaking history of His people Israel, when our God made unconditional promises in unconditional covenants, he didn't, he didn't make those promises on the basis of the behavior of his people or we would not even have a country today. We don't have much of a country left, but whatever we do have left, we probably wouldn't have it without the faithfulness of God. So it's very important for us to know that even though we watched a king be coronated that has not lived an exemplary life, check out the pages of your Bible, check on all the ancient kings of Judah, and when you come to Asa, or Jehoshaphat, or Josiah, a couple of others, you rejoice because they suddenly rise out of the wickedness of the generations that have passed us by. So we live in a wicked generation, and we are most fortunate to be the recipients of understanding that while we have forgotten our God, He has not forgotten us. And for that we ought to be thankful and eternally grateful. Nothing compares, in my humble opinion, to the prophetic promises of Scripture so much as God's faithfulness to the covenant, unconditional covenant, He made with His servant David. We live in a country with many woes today. We are suffering from the failure to observe the commandments of God. We live in a country and a generation that is watching with our very own eyes the decline of the entire Western world, the disintegration of a, one, of a world once ruled by white, God-fearing men and women who plied oceans who traversed oceans to plant the flag of their representative nations. And now we see a country 
that is ready to open its borders and invite the entire third world alien hordes to come and take possession of the land that God deeded to his people. So it is not that we are not suffering the consequences of our willful, deliberate breaking of the covenant and the law that God has given us. And we live in the middle of a time in history, beloved, when the breaking of God's law and covenant is becoming so profound that it has obliterated for millions very much hope for the future. And the hope that we must hold on to is the hope found in Scripture, the rock upon which we must stand, the anchor to which we must hold, is found in the Bible. It's found in Jesus Christ. It's not found in anything material that we can find in America today. God promised David, and God made the promise. He doesn't elaborate on why he made the promise to David, but he made a promise to David that there would never be a day that there would not be an heir on his throne until Shiloh would come. One of the very first examples, clear examples, biblically speaking, of God's promise that there would always be a king is found in the patriarchal blessings of Jacob to his sons. In Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, there is a verse that is of monumental significance. And every Christian ought to know this verse. Everyone here ought to know and be familiar with this verse. If you aren't, shame on you. God tells us through the patriarchal lips, the inspiration of Jacob, in Genesis 49:10, speaking to Judah, he says, The scepter, say it with me if you know it, scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. That's a far-reaching prophetic word. Far-reaching because it tells us that the ruling power, the scepter, the rod of authority, the scepter of a king will not depart out of the tribe of Judah until Shiloh, another name for Jesus Christ, arrives. And unto him, unto Christ, will the gathering of the people, the regathering of Israel, and the whole concept of the kingdom of God completed. So that, that verse takes us to the final completion of all that's going to happen when Christ comes back and the regathering and restoration of Israel is made in preparation for the kingdom. So the coronation of Charles reaffirms 
the patriarchal blessings made by Jacob to his, his son Judah in Genesis, Genesis 49 and verse 10. So we, we understand today, people, that as a congregation of believing Israelites who believe that the Israel truth is more than a novelty, more than just a nice story, more than just an interesting bit of history to tickle our ears. The truth of genetic Israel is a foundational, spiritual, racial, moral truth that echoes across the corridors of time and should register in our hearts and fill us with awesome thanksgiving that out of the darkness of this world, God has chosen to call everyone who has come into the knowledge of the truth of Christ and the gospel of His kingdom and the identification of biblical Israel. Our God told Abraham in Genesis 17, verse 6, Abraham lived a long, long time before David. He lived a long number of years before David was ever conceived. And he said, God speaking to Abraham said, Genesis 17, 6, I will make thee exceeding fruitful. I will make nations of these, and kings shall come out of thy loins. So God promised the seed of monarchy before there ever was a king in ancient Israel. And David was the assurance that God would keep that covenant indefinitely to the very time when Christ would assume the reins of government. You're all familiar with the beautiful words of Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. Say it with me if you know it. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of His government and peace. Upon what? I didn't hear that very loud. Of the government of His peace upon the throne of David. Did we not just read that out of the Gospel of Luke? I wonder how many examples we'd have to read from the Bible for a generation of skeptics, agnostics, unbelievers to finally believe God and His Word. And that He promised upon the throne of David to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth and forever. Then how does that verse end? Help me. Come on, you got your Bibles. How does Isaiah 9, 7 end? The zeal of the Lord will perform this. 
we live in a generation that need to wake up. Wake up and come alive. We need to be spiritually alive and awake and see what good things God may be doing before our very eyes. God is still on His throne. God is still keeping His promise. And if we are in trouble, it's not because God has failed us. It's because we have failed God. And that ought to mean a time of repentance. It ought to inspire humility. It ought to inspire meekness. It could even mean that we might be on our knees, thanking and praising God and asking Him for help out of the morass and the terrible day that we have come upon us. The wonderful truth of the promise that God made to David captures a lot of the Bible Scripture. How long do you think it would take me to read from the Bible all the words that God promised David in the everlasting, unconditional covenant he made? There are two kinds of covenants in the Bible, conditional and unconditional. When we read a covenant, we need to know if it's conditional or if it's unconditional. Marriage, for example, is an unconditional covenant. It's not built on the condition that my wife will please me, or my husband will please me, or if she looks pretty 15 years after we're married, I'll remember this covenant. No, marriage is an, un, is an unbreakable covenant. Amen? We need, to, we need to learn to say the word amen once in a while, folks. It won't hurt you. Unless you grew up in a Methodist church, you'll feel okay doing it. Now, when I said that we would take, it would take a long time to read all the promises that God made to David, I'm going to give you the ones that you need to maybe write down. And they are found in the foundational verses of 2 Samuel chapters 7, 8 through 24. They are again referenced in 2 Samuel 23, 1 through 5. They are found in an entire chapter of Psalm 89 and verses 30 through 37 of the 89th Psalm are among the most beautiful words found in your Bible. And I'm so happy that our academy students memorized those words this school year. They are repeated in Psalm 132, verses 11 and 12, in a very condensed way. And in Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6, there is the promise of the kingship of David. In Jeremiah 33, 14 through 26, is an elaborate re-establishment of the everlasting covenant with David. We read from Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. 
We have already read Luke chapter number one. We did not read the beautiful words of Acts chapter two, 29 through 31, which reaffirm that Jesus would be raised in resurrection to ultimately sit upon the throne of David. You can read it in Acts chapter 2, Revelation 11, 15. Revelation 11, 15. Do you know that the, the summation verse of the last book in the Bible, I find this significant, the last summation verse of the entire Bible says that the seventh angel sounded and there were great voices in heaven saying, saying what? The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. Case closed. That's the end point of the book of Revelation. And for all the preterists, you need to hang on to that verse because it's one verse that has not occurred. Even though many of you, many of the preterists have rolled up the book of Revelation like a, you know, like it's all past history. Shame on them. They know better. Now, beloved, when we think about the promises God made to David, they are unconditional. They are not conditional based upon the behavior of any of the kings sitting upon that throne or that covenant would have ended long, long ago. Long before Charles would have ever been born. I'm not a fan of King Charles. I don't like his ideology and his global politics. But I know that he is a coronated king because God has ordained him to be. For better, for worse. For richer, for poor. A husband makes a vow to his wife and a wife makes a vow to her husband. King Charles made some vows today. Now, will he keep those vows? I don't know. But I pray God he, he does because he was anointed and he was blessed under the name of Jesus Christ. They didn't struggle to try to figure out how to pronounce God's name. The whole English-speaking world heard the name of their Savior. They heard the name of Jesus Christ, not somebody's vain imagination of how to say Jesus in some other language. We are an English-speaking nation, and we ought to know our God in a very understandable form. For the benefit of those who do not know his name, his name is Jesus. His name is Christ. Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, the name that every knee shall bow to, the name that every tongue will confess, that he is Lord of lords, that he is King of kings. And today was one day 
just one day that the whole Western world heard the name of Jesus Christ. Not once, not twice, but multiple times. And today the whole Western world was exposed to the real music of our race. They had an opportunity to look at the historicity of what used to be the greatness of Israel. That's what they were exposed to today. They were exposed to 12 compositions that had been written for this coronation. High, glorious music that lifted God Almighty to the highest heavens. Hundreds of voices, white choir members, once in a great while, if I looked hard enough, I would find a non-white face. But I thank God that 99.99% of the choir was Anglo-Saxon. And I praise God that about 90% or greater of the crowd in London that attended the coronation was white Anglo-Saxon people. This was a demonstration in spite of all efforts. It was a tribal moment for the identity people to celebrate the former greatness that was once a part of their race. Now, one of the features that occurred today was monumental in that when God called Jacob to be the father of 12 sons, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun, Reuben, Simeon, and Gad, Benjamin, Manasseh, Ephraim, Dan, Asher, and Naphtali, together with Levi, out of those 12 sons, God himself appointed a scepter and a birthright. A scepter and a birthright. They were both together today in the coronation. The scepter was joined with the birthright. How so? Because the British Commonwealth of Nations, though it has dwindled down in the number of nations under the Commonwealth banner, it still remains unchallenged as the single greatest empire that has ever graced this earth. And if you go back to the year 1900, when Queen Victoria was on the throne, the sun did not set on the British Empire. Moreover, the confirmation of God's birthright to Joseph has been confirmed in the British Commonwealth of Nations and in the development, singularly, of the United States of America. America as an individual country 
has been the wealthiest, richest nation ever to exist in history. At the height of America's economic greatness, you could have separated the states of California or Texas or any number of American states, and they were wealthier than other major nations of the world. The wealth, the splendor, the opulence that God blessed this country with is unprecedented in human history. And I am sad and my heart aches because of the millions of young people today that are growing up in a country that was once a great land of hardworking, Bible-believing, blood-war, spirit-filled, sin-hating, devil-chasing Christians who literally deserve the name Christian in contrast to the sad spiritual and moral nature of our country today. Now, I believe, beloved, that it is so important for us today to take a deep breath and just not let human opinion, not allow the voices of so many different strains of opinion determine how we are going to believe. I think we need to read our Bibles and believe what's written in the Word of God. Mark 13, 31 says, in the words of Jesus Christ, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall not pass away. God's word is more stable than the earth we live on today. God's word will still be true, though the earth disappear. Hold on to that which is true. It's God's word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created everything that we know that was created in this universe. And God has his hand upon the world that he created. We do not believe that God has taken a vacation, that God is somehow unmindful that God is somehow unmindful of the word that he has left us, the revelation that God has left us. Now, there's coming a day when the throne, the throne of David, will be moved. It will not always reside where it is today in Westminster Abbey. If you'll turn in your Bibles for just a moment, a quick moment, we will turn to Ezekiel chapter number, we'll turn to Ezekiel chapter number 21, if you'd be so kind to turn there. And we'll read a couple of verses out of Ezekiel chapter number 21. They're of great value to us here today. 
So I'm going to read now from, I'm reading from Ezekiel chapter number 21. I'm going to read some verses here that are extremely important when we think about the throne of David. I'm reading now from Ezekiel 21 verses 25 through 27, just three verses. Join with me if you have your Bibles open to Ezekiel 30, or chapter number 21, beginning at verse 25. God is speaking to Zedekiah, the last surviving king of the Davidic line that was sitting upon the throne of David in the land of Judea, in the kingdom of Judah. And he says, Thou profane, wicked prince of Israel, whose day is come, the day of his judgment, when iniquity shall have an end, Thus saith the Lord God, remove the diadem, take off the crown. This shall not be the same. Exalt him that is low, abase him that is high. Now watch closely. Here's God's promise. He's talking about the throne of David. I will overturn, overturn, overturn it. Now, what do you think the word overturn is talking about? Well, it's talking about the throne that Zedekiah set upon. He's talking about the covenant, the unconditional covenant God made. And God is not ending the covenant. He's saying that I'm going to take the throne upon which Zedekiah set and I'm going to do exactly what we read earlier here this morning from the book of Jeremiah, that prophet of God who was told to go and tear down, pull down, and destroy one kingdom, or observe it, prophesy about it. And then God told Jeremiah in the same breath, now I'm going to cause you to plant and build another, another place. On the earth for my people. So Jeremiah is a singular, very strategically important person in these three overturns. Back to Ezekiel. I will overturn, overturn, overturn it. Good English students, the word it is in reference back to what? The throne. It goes, it takes you back to what's happening in verse 26. God says, I'm going to overturn, overturn, overturn it. And it shall be no more what? Until he come whose right it is, and I will give it him. Now, I would like for you sometime to look at the commentaries that have been written about what those verses mean. Unless you know who Israel is, unless you have identified the genetic pedigreed bloodline of biblical Israel in the Anglo-Saxon, Celtic, Germanic, Scandinavian kindred peoples, you will be clueless to unravel those words in Ezekiel. But if you know your history, you know that the first overturn was about to happen when Jeremiah the prophet 
was a young lad and getting ready to watch the end of the kingdom of Judah. Jeremiah was a designated prophet to perform the first overturn of the throne. He carried the daughters of the last surviving Judean king, Zedekiah, and one of those daughters, Tamar Tiatefi, is going to be carried to Ireland by Jeremiah the prophet, and she will be wed to the line, to a prince from the line of Zerah, the counterpart to Pharez. You have to know Genesis 38 to know all this history. And so we will have a transference of the throne of David from Jerusalem to Ireland in 588 B.C. That is an ushered date. The second overthrow of that throne was a little more than 1,000 years later. In 503 A.D. when it was taken to Scotland. That throne remained in Scotland for almost 1000 years not quite it was taken to our uh, to Scotland and it remained in the the, the Scottish city of scone s c o n e now when jeremiah left jerusalem he didn't leave with just the clothes on his back he left in the company of a whole little delegation, including the king's daughters of the line of Pharez. Jeremiah also took a famous stone. And that stone is called Jacob's pillar stone. Has many names. It's called the stone of destiny. It makes its appearance in Genesis 28 when Jacob leaving his father and mother for the land of Padanaram to find a wife, comes to the end of his journey that day. He finds a nice oblong rock upon which he rests his head. And that became the famous pillow stone of Jacob. Genesis 28. It's a marvelous story of that stone that is given, he, uh, Jacob anoints that stone. Later in Genesis 35, many years later, he comes back, he revisits this place, he anoints the stone again, and then it becomes part of the regalia, the sacred heirlooms of ancient Israel, and it's carried with them all over the place. As a matter of fact, this famous stone of which we speak is now encased in the coronation chair that King Charles was coronated on today. I'm going to send this around and you can take a quick look at this and pass it on. But you'll see here in this, 
within this coronation chair is the stone called Jacob's Pillar Stone. Now, I have a major investment in that little stone because in 1978, I was with a tour group going through Westminster Abbey, where at that time it was located. It was in the coronation chair, but they had it all roped off, and no one was allowed to even get close to that chair and the stone. Now, we were with a group of about 30-some people, so I was determined that I ought to get closer to that stone. So when the tour group passed on to another big part of the Westminster Abbey, I just stayed behind. When they had all disappeared, I knelt down. I crawled under the ropes with my face on the rug. I buried myself, my face in the rug. I laid my hand on that stone and I prayed for the return of Christ our Savior because I know that someday He will return. He will split the clouds with His glory and I would be very surprised if Jesus didn't sit on that very stone. Now, for the benefit of our young people, there was almost a war fought over that stone when it was stolen and disappeared for a while. Short time. But the whole British nation was ready to go to war to find that stone. Now that stone was, it, after it was in Scotland for a very long time. And you know that the Scots and the English have not always been the best of friends. You know that. All you Scottish people out here know that. But there was an English king by the name of Edward I who finally finally was able to subdue those fierce Scots. You know the story. And Edward I in 1296 finally subdued the Scots. And when he left Scotland, guess what he took with him? He took Jacob's pillow stone. And he said to Scotland, goodbye. You won't see this stone again at least during his watch. Well, it did return to Scotland. Now that was in 1296 when it was moved to England. And there it was placed at Westminster Abbey and that coronation chair that you'll see when it passes by in review, that chair is more than 700 years old. And Imagine the royalty that has been coronated on that, in that chair. But more importantly, church, here is what you need to know. That all the kings of Judah, all the kings of Judah, were coronated on that stone. You may want to look sometime and notice that in 2 Kings eleven fourteen, in 2 Kings 23 verse 3 when the king of ancient Israel is being coronated he's standing by a stone 
It's in your Bible. Now, there's a lot of scholars that believe that this is the rock that Moses struck in the Sinai wilderness out of which gushed the water that saved the nation of Israel. You have reference to a rock in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 when St. Paul takes us back to Moses, the children in the wilderness, and identifies the rock. And then he says, that rock that they carried, so to speak, symbolized Christ, and that rock was Christ. There's a world of history associated with Jacob's pillar stone because it goes with the throne. It's part of the throne. So we just simply mention that in passing here today. I'd like to say that the pillar is referenced in Judges chapter number 9, verse 6. The pillar is referenced in 2 Chronicles 23, 13. But I'd like to come back to a point in the closing moments of this lesson, church. And here we are at the end of Jacob's life, nearing the end of his life. Jacob has cataracts. He's not able to see hardly, maybe not at all. He gathers his 12 sons. And we need to know that what Jacob said has impacted the history of the Western Christian world from that day to this. We already told you that he told Judah, the scepter will not depart from you until Shiloh comes. King Charles is of the tribe of Judah. He's German, he's Judah. What is a Judean king sitting in a British cathedral being coronated? It's because God is keeping his promise. God brought together the scepter and the birthright. What did God tell Joseph when Jacob is at the end of his life? In Genesis 49, beginning in verse 22, he says, Jacob is a fruitful bough by a well, whose branches run over the wall, over the ocean. The archers have sorely grieved him, shot at him, and hated him. But his bow, the bow of Joseph, abounded in strength. The arms of his hands were made strong by the mighty hands of the God of Jacob. Then he says something remarkable in Genesis 49. From thence is the shepherd's stone. Joseph was in the, had the custody of the stone. Joseph still has the custody of the stone. It's still in Joseph's hands. They are the custodians of this stone. And Judah provides the king upon which the, the stone will serve as the seat of coronation.
The two sticks of Ezekiel are showing up here. They did on May 6, 2023. God continued to speak to Joseph in Genesis 49. And he says, the progenitors of my father have prevailed above the progenitors of my ancestors to the utmost bound of the everlasting sea. Mountains, they shall be, the hills, they shall be upon the head of Joseph and upon the crown of the head of him that was separated from his brethren. Do you know that all Americans, all Americans are the inheritors of the scepter and the birthright? And the scepter and the birthright has impacted all the tribes of Israel. All the tribes of Israel. Many of the nations of Europe would be but a footnote in American history. The little state of Alabama is as large as, as England. But Alabama doesn't have the history that England does by any imagination. God told Jacob through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to remind his people, blessed of the Lord be Joseph and his land, birthright, for the precious things of heaven, for the dew and the deep that coucheth beneath, for the precious fruits brought forth by the sun, for the precious things brought forth by the moon, for the chief things of the ancient mountains, for the precious things of the lasting hills, for the precious things of the earth, and the fullness thereof they shall be upon the head of Joseph, and upon the top of the head of him that was separated from his brethren. His glory is like the firstling of the bullock and like the horns of the unicorn. With them, he promised Ephraim that out of Ephraim he would push the ten thousands of Ephraim, the thousands of Manasseh. The story of Israel, the story of God's faithfulness. And I pray in closing today, beloved, that on this day, it is very unlikely that we'll see another coronation unless God cuts Charles's life short. Now waiting in the wings is King William, who has led a much more exemplary life. And tagging along behind his father, William, is young George, now nine years old, the youngest royal to ever participate in a coronation. And little George this morning, if you watch the coronation, nine-year-old boy was 
pristine white, a page boy in his grandfather's coronation. And behind little George is little Lewis. So God is well armed with the royal blood of the scepter that will not depart from Judah. And pray God that we here today will not give up, though our country looks like someone ready to flush it down the commode. God is still on His throne. God has not left nor forsaken the promises He's made to Israel. Cheer up! The best days are yet to come. For one day the clouds will separate and the King of Kings will make His appearance. Let's be ready. Let's be ready. Let's stand. In Christ alone.